vibration Burning global obscene fire Like electric Europaya On today's episode of The Culture Quest We talk about what movie and band pairings we would have loved to see on our Tavern Talks segment. We discuss Black Sabbath's Paranoid, their second album, which came out in the year 1970. And then Peter gives us two albums to choose from to listen to for our next episode. Hello and welcome to The Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers and today... We're going back in time to warn humanity of its dire fate, only to go totally mad and kill everyone, bringing doom upon humanity once and for all. Yeah, uh, with me, as always, are Peter. I am Iron Man. <laughs> and Barrio. And I am Inan. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today, we're discussing Black Sabbath's Paranoid. I hate saying Black Sabbath. Um, this is an album that I chose for us to do, honestly, just because I wanted to listen to it. This might be the list I've ever gone out of my comfort zone on our quest. Uh, do I feel bad about it? Uh, maybe just a tiny bit. But before we get into all of that, let's listen to a little bit of the Culture Quest Radio. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> For today's Culture Quest Radio segment, I was thinking about the movie Iron Man 2, which I keep running into, and not because I'm an Iron Man fan or, or, or because I listen to that soundtrack often, but because on Apple Music and probably other music streaming services, that soundtrack, the Iron Man 2 soundtrack, is listed under ACDC's artist page, which... Makes sense. The whole Iron Man 2 soundtrack was made up of ACDC songs. And that immediately makes it one of the best movie OSTs, in my opinion. And so, based on that, I asked you this question. What movie franchise and band or musical artist pairing you would like to see? I also gave out, like, the example of a new Batman movie with a soundtrack made up of only ABBA songs. <laughs> <laughs> But we can only dream, I guess. <laughs> so... Who wants to go first? Peter. Peter. Ah, uh, well, okay. I tried, guys. I really tried. And I know exactly what you're going to say. Really? Because yeah. I, I spent like a week on it, and I only came to my conclusions <laughs> today. Well, actually, no, I didn't spend a week, but yeah. <laughs> go on. What I'm, is going, it? I'm going to guess that you went with Led Zeppelin and the James Bond movie. No, no. Because I nah. think James Bond is like, it's tricky, right? This is the thing I wanted to bring up. There's two um, types of movies. In, well, there's many types. But in, <laughs> in terms of this question, there's two types. There's one, which is the film shouldn't have songs. It should only have like a score or like a just background music. You know what I mean? Like there shouldn't actually be like definable songs from an yeah. album that just get chucked in the movie. And then there's songs like best example is like Forrest Gump, where it's like, you can just put a whole mixtape on there and it just sounds good, you know? And, and it's not like you should be like using obscure artists just to like, so you don't get distracted from the film, like put yeah. on fortunate son, right? Right. In the middle of the gun battle. You know what I mean? Like there's like two different types, like the best movies that I can think of that come to mind with this sort of, soundtrack uh idea 
Well, actually, not the best movies because the first one I'm going to say is Suicide Squad, which was like they had Bohemian Rhapsody and stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, that, they just had like a bunch of songs. And when you get like the soundtrack CD, it's like a hits of summer 2017 or something like that. <laughs> and well, Baby Driver, that was that was awesome. That had I think one of the biggest songs that I remember from that was it's a it's essentially the guitar solo song from um, Brian May. Um, Brighton Rock, whatever Brian it is. Rock, yeah. That's the one. Right and rock, Off yeah. like Queen 1 or 2 or something like that. Like an earlier, earlier kind of Queen song. And they work like really well. And, you know, it, even the audience that knows the songs, they actually get more out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it doesn't distract. Sometimes I do feel like if I know a song and I'm not, not meant to know it, you know what I mean? But I do know it and they play it in a movie. I'm just thinking about a song and I kind of miss the movie. But in Baby Driver, like it just works like perfectly. And I'm trying to think about those movies and one that I thought when I was watching it, oh, this would be awesome with a different set of songs. Like like you could definitely interchange those songs. And it's not quite a soundtrack movie, but it's definitely got songs that are talked about and that's American Psycho. Hmm. So the the um, Patrick Bateman who is played by Christian Bale, he's like just as he's about to like murder someone, he's like he puts on a song and he's like, do you, do you like like um some old like some seventies or eighties band? He's like, yeah, the, their first album was you know it it was all right, but this second album really is really when they start to come into their own, and then he like gets a sledgehammer out and stuff like that. It's like this weird juxtaposition, yeah, between <laughs> being like a music aficionado to just being like this deranged serial killer. And I thought just because I need to mention this band like one more time, I thought it would be so cool to have the Radiohead for that because they're, it's such an interesting, like Radiohead went from their first album, which was, I never listened to their first album. It's, it's honestly, there's not many good songs on it, in my opinion. And then they go from that to The Benz, which is like starting to become a pretty good album. And then they do one of the best albums of all time of, of OK Computer. Like it, it would be such a cool band for Patrick Bateman to talk about you know what I mean like it, it there's so much to it and also you could actually track this you could actually add more of their music to the actual film because there's so many scenes there where they just use random music where you could actually put more radiohead in there so like in the in like the club scenes you could put on like full stop or you know something like that and you could put on when he's like walking down alleys and stuff like that you can put down like present tense or something like that in the office you could play the numbers you know there's so many good opportunities there that you could do whereas they only did they they only did the songs for like those specific scenes but i thought if you use radiohead at least at least you get that more cinematic sort of background scoring but then you also get like the interesting Patrick Bateman comments and stuff yeah. like that, him playing like paranoid android and like hacking someone's head off, you know. Yeah, that's actually a great mixture. You know, I know the the Kid A album best out of mm. all of their uh, discography and that, that the frustration in that album would work so well with that movie. Oh, yeah. And also a few songs I know from In Rainbows and from uh, Hail to the Thief would be perfect in the background of a movie. Mm. Something about him like just like traumatizing some, some poor stripper or something like that when he's like, 
headbanging to optimistic or something like yeah. that. You know, <laughs> I can't imagine. I can imagine that. And also the movie came out, I actually don't know when it came out. 99, 2000? Yeah. And it's obviously meant to be set. I think a little bit before that. So. Oh yeah, I think the book is set in like the early '90s. Yeah. So if they did it, it would have to be. I guess if it came out 2000, I think it came out 99. But anyway, you you would have to sort of like move it forward a little bit. Like you would want to have at least the In Rainbows album in like 2007. So yeah, I'm not sure if the film could work if you moved it forward, but I'm sure it could. It wouldn't be that different. The one, the other '90s film that I thought would be pretty cool to have is Fight Club. I thought the best band that you could go with Fight Club. And like when I think of Fight Club, it, it's like it's seeing someone walking down the street with a suit on, looking nice, got their umbrella with some sort of bank logo on the umbrella, just like neatly. It's all very much in place. You know, you can tell they've combed their hair in the morning and just thinking, fuck that guy. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what I think about Fight Club. It's like, just fuck perfection, you know, like it just, who the fuck is this guy, you know? And Nirvana, I think, would encapsulate that a lot, you know? Ooh. Like Nirvana deliberately didn't like doing this. Well, I don't know if they didn't like it, but when they did interviews, they just like fucked with the interviewer and, and tried to derail the person asking the questions. And it's just like a, it's a desire to sort of want to just change the system. And because not only do they, I'm reading into it a little bit, but the vibe I get from the music is a lot of people say, well, you know, man in the mirror is like, you want to make a change by Michael Jackson. You know, like it, it, it's like a positive song about change. Whereas Nirvana is a negative song about change. A lot of the time it's, we don't like what's happening and let's just destroy it. You know what I mean? Like that's not all their songs, obviously, but there's not much like practicality behind it and i think fight club sort of is similar to that like obviously the end where it all burns down is you know probably the best example but yeah it's rebellious it's like a yeah it's it's like they're not being constructive you know like pissing in the soup and stuff like that is like it's not helping the situation it's just it's just like it's their way of like dealing with it and i think like that's all that's a lot of what nirvana sound like to me so i thought that pairing could be very interesting, um, yeah. Could be a good one. Also, Nirvana's just awesome, and it's very cult-like, and it's very 90s. So, um, the only other one I can think of, again, I haven't really hit any franchises, so sorry about that, but is just Joshua Radden and any romance TV series. I haven't, I, I tried, I was looking them <laughs> up, and I'm like, I just haven't seen any, but like, what it would just go with anything. Who and what? Okay, so Joshua Radden, <laughs> I'll, I'll crack out the... Um, Groovalicious. Not a term I made up, listeners. That's what it is on Discord. <laughs> oh, perfect. It actually worked. Um, it's just got, like, a very... It's very suited for, like, when you listen to the first few lines and then it fades into the background just a little bit and the characters can speak and you can have, like, this nice moment and then it just comes back and it would just be a really positive song. Like, they're... He has some sad songs, but most of them are very, very positive, and they're the, the perfect way to end, like, a TV episode. They're not... They're probably not as cinematic enough to put in, like, a film series, but for TV shows where people have got to, like, switch it off and go to bed and go to work the next morning, it's, like, perfect. Kind of sounds like uh, that artist you like, Barrio. What's his name? Damien Rice. 
or maybe it kind of sounds like the way I imagine Damien Rice to sound like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Damien Rice is a lot more melancholic. This is kind of like, um, who this reminds me of? Maybe a bit Mumford and Sons, kind of like with the, not enough um, mandolin, but kind of like a road song. Yeah. Like you can you can imagine him putting a backpack on his back and kind of like living and, and and the camera goes between different views. He explores. This is like one of his most sad songs. So the song um, I put on first was um, called High and Low by Joshua Rannan. And the second one, which is one of his sadder ones, is called One More. Like when I put it on, people don't assume I would like it because it's completely different to like everything else um, I listen to. Yeah. But but I don't know. This he just he has a lot of respect for what came before him. Like I often see him sort of like talking about like his favorite albums. He, he talks about Led Zeppelin two a lot. He talks about you know like the people who inspired him from a singer songwriter perspective as well. And I don't know. He's he's just he's one of those classic artists where. He's not doing like too much social media. He's just kind of like doing his own thing and all of his songs sound genuine and he's got a style, he's sticking to it, you know? Very easy going. So it's been it's been challenging because I, I kept thinking of like when I tried to think about movies and soundtracks, I just kept going into soundtracks of movies. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wanted to also bring like a couple of uh honorable mentions in, in that topic. I'm not sure if we talked about it before, but, you know, immediately when I started to think about it, there's a, a very sweet movie called uh, Dan in Real Life with uh, Steve Carell, which he's completely unlike himself, like he's not goofing off or doing stupid things, just like a really sweet romantic comedy. And the soundtrack is perfect. And this is one of the movies that are kind of like defined and defining its soundtracks, just perfect for each other. I can't imagine this movie with any other soundtrack or this soundtrack <laughs> with any other movie. There are a couple of other things like Wild Rose that I just fell in love with recently, but let me get to the actual topic. So I was thinking there's the Monty Python's Life of Brian, mm, yeah. <laughs> and there's a band called Caravan Palace that does more of an electronic music and i would actually think that that would go well i actually tried opening clip from the movie and kind of like played one of the songs on top of it and you know it's so different yeah <laughs> but it actually works in a way it's very energetic and and monty python is a lot of talking like there's not a lot of places where you can actually put soundtrack on but it it kind of came in nicely, so... Wait, so I would, I would Monty like... Python is like a biblical story. Yeah. You're talking about adding Caravan Palace, uh, like an, an electronic band in the background of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, imagine the, the part where they're chasing Brian. <laughs> With electro swing in the That's background. That's kind of funny. I can see yeah, it that. Yeah, something swingy to it. So, you know, the movie. And this is electro swing. So, yeah, it's... it's. Um, I would like to see. Like a good edit. Could be a fun right. thing to see. 
Bear, have you watched any of the Monty Python movies? No, I haven't. But, like, I do like the idea of putting something, like, really old with something kind of this. Yeah, it, it refreshes it. I'm trying to think of what I would put. Like, imagine if imagine if in the scene in Jurassic Park where they're just about <laughs> to, to see the dinosaurs and... Britney Spears' Toxic comes on. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> no relation at all. Just, just, uh, just really funny. <laughs> you know, Monty Python are kind of into like opposites. You know, they they like to put things that don't really go together and, and kind of force it a bit. Yeah, I can see them maybe going for something like this. It could be a fun experiment. Mm. So my answer is, uh, I would have loved to see a Clerks or a Jane Silent Bob or a, like you know a Kevin Smith movie. But not, not one of his new ones. His newer movies are more like uh, not good, and uh, they they went in a different direction. Like their his earlier movies were like more comedy, more fun, but it had a bit of uh, analysis of life, maybe a bit when he was younger. And now they're more weird, more horror. But I would have loved to see one of Kevin Smith's earlier movies uh, with a soundtrack made up of. Big Bad Voodoo Daddy songs, uh, a New Orleans style swing revival band, and they have like they they have all kinds of jazz music throughout their albums, but they have all kinds of cool songs, you know, like cool jazz. And I, I'm just imagining a, a Jane Silent Bob movie with cool jazz in the background. You know, their songs, their Big Bad Voodoo Daddy songs, are more lively, so they might work best under like chase scenes and stuff like that but I'm still like if I'm stretching my imagination a bit I can see a, a Jane Silent Bob film noir detective mystery story with some cool 40s jazz in the background just imagine like a Jane Silent Bob maybe maybe not in black and white but maybe in black and white and it's like you know, their detectives are trying to figure out a murder. They're trying to solve a case. And this is in the background. Yeah, it would totally work. <laughs> it, does it could be work, a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. This could almost work for like a Sherlock Holmes or something. Mostly they're, they're, the, the Jane Silent Bob or the Kevin Smith movies are filled with like 90s rock songs. So it's, it's, it's way different than what they're usually doing with those movies. But could be so much fun. This is uh, King of Swing by Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. So, today we're discussing 1970s Paranoid, an album by Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath were formed in 1969 by vocalist Ozzy Osbourne, guitarist Tony Iommi, uh, bassist Geezer Butler, and drummer Bill Ward in Birmingham, England. And Paranoid is the band's second album. It's considered to be one of their most influential ones. Their first album, Black Sabbath, came out in 1969. It became very successful, so the band kind of rushed back into the studio to put out a second album and write the success of the first one. And I kind of I read about the, the writing process of this album, and it's kind of like how you describe... Exile on Main Street by Rolling Stones, Peter. Like, you kind of said that it sounds like they just went into the studio, decided to put out an album, didn't really think about it, just put one out. Yeah, I was like, oh, I just love the way that Exile on Main Street feels. Like, it's like, it just feels so jammed. It doesn't feel overproduced. 
Like the the vocals aren't at the front of the mix. Yeah, to compare that to to Black Sabbath's Paranoid, you can't say that the vocals aren't in the front. Like I'd say that everything in terms of the mixing is in the front. Yeah, Everything's everything turned up. <laughs> yeah, it, it just sounds like everything is is turned up. It, it, it sounds like everything is supposed to be uh, the focus of of your attention. And if I remember correctly, they started recording this album, Paranoid, four months after the first one came out. And like that had a major influence on how the album came out. Like most of the songs on this album were written quickly in the studio or based on like improvised jams by the band. The album, uh, Paranoid, consists of eight songs. It's 42 minutes long. And Black Sabbath as a band is considered to be one of the earlier heavy metal bands and specifically doom metal band, which I'll get into in a bit and the music on paranoid is is dark it's ominous it's cold but it also has some things that kind of reminded me of other albums of the time like it's very dynamic like it has very loud and very quiet moments it has very dark tones but it has every once in a while a bunch of like bright tones and i think it stands out in that way from a lot of the early metal albums that i know and I mentioned doom metal, which is a subgenre of metal that is known for eliciting like the feeling of doom. A lot of doom metal bands play very slow, very dark, very heavy music. And a great example of that in this album is the intro for Iron Man, track four and Paranoid, which is very slow, very heavy, very dark. And Paranoid, even in songs that aren't exactly slow and brooding, really makes you feel like the world is ending and that life is doomed. Anyway, how do you guys like this album? And also, would you say that this album is outside of your comfort zone at all? Because, like I mentioned in the intro, I I literally chose this album because I kind of missed listening to this kind of music. So this is way inside. This is a dead center of my comfort zone. (laughs) I think this is pretty close to my comfort zone because, of obviously, I like Zeppelin a lot. But... Zeppelin is actually only because it's my favorite band, I, I call that my comfort zone. But I actually don't listen to a lot of bands like Zeppelin. Like, I don't listen to a lot of Black Sabbath or, um, or any of sort of like those hard rock bands. And a lot of the reason is because a lot of them are too close to Zeppelin that I just don't, I just end up listening back to Zeppelin again. So I'd say my, my actual comfort zone is probably closer to Stones, Beatles, Bob Dylan, that kind of um, late 60s, early 70s kind of pop slash whatever Bob Dylan does. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I think this is a little bit out of my comfort zone. But in terms of how far outside, it's, it's really like re- really close to it. You know, like 1970, one of the best years in music and... Tommy Iommi, I, I like as a guitarist a, a lot, and Ozzy Osbourne, fantastic singer. It's I'm definitely familiar with it, and this album in particular, I'm I'm familiar with. I've I've played it a few times, but in terms of like playing the whole album through, I definitely haven't actively listened to the whole album before. So it, it it's definitely a new experience for me. It reminded me some other metal that I heard before. But I enjoyed it all in all. It has something to say. You know, it has a, it has a story to tell. And, you know, all the songs sound like Black Sabbath. And I don't know Black Sabbath. What also surprised me is how many songs were very familiar. Like, I think I heard the entire album before, but, you know, never as an album. Just like as songs playing in the background. You know, from War Pigs to... Um, well, maybe, maybe the last one was a bit less familiar. Although... 
was my favorite spoilers. <laughs> What didn't didn't it sound very familiar to you? Well, yeah, it's kind of a formative album. It's kind of one of the earlier influential albums of metal, and I didn't recognize all of the songs on this album, but I still listened to a lot of metal when I was younger. still do every once in a while and I used to go to a lot of metal parties I used to go we still do we go to the that metal pub we we sit in every once in a while Barry and I and obviously they're gonna play Black Sabbath every once in a while and paranoid one of their earliest one of their most most influential albums of course they're gonna play a few songs from that so definitely war pigs I definitely recognized it immediately uh, Iron Man is a very very famous song uh, amongst metal listeners yeah yeah Hand of Doom and uh, Electric Funeral, also very familiar songs. And then uh, there are a few songs that I didn't recognize there. Uh, Fairies Wear Boots and Planet Caravan. But all in all, I really had a lot of fun with this album. Like I said, this is dead center in my comfort zone. For some reason, I never really gave uh, Black Sabbath a lot of my attention. I listened... To one of their later albums when I was younger which is 1980s heaven and hell which doesn't even have Ozzy uh, on vocals it has Dio on vocals mm. and it's much more of an 80s heavy metal album than uh, an early do metal album so it's it's really different like I, I'd say that if you'd listen to heaven and hell it's kind of hard to even say that it's the same band un- until you get to kind of know the album and then you kind of see the similarities and But I really enjoyed Paranoid. I love the dark feeling. I love the heavy music. I don't necessarily like Ozzy's voice, but I think the vocals are amazing, if mm. you know what I mean. Like, he has this... He, his voice is kind of annoying, but <laughs> he's just perfect for this band. He, I love his vocals. And as a metal fan, I felt right at home with this album. You know, I, I can see a lot of things in this album that would become kind of major attributes in metal music in the future, like relative... future and also i think there's a lot of influences from other types of music from the time i think a lot of things in this album specifically the drumming re- remind me of zeppelin a lot i couldn't stop listening to this album uh throughout the last couple of weeks and it got me listening to a bunch of other black sabbath albums like i i i love metal and i didn't listen to metal as much as i'm i did when i was younger in a in a long while so this kind of made me feel young again And I listened to maybe five other albums by Black Sabbath from their, their first one, their fifth one, their uh, Heaven and Hell one, which came in 1980, and, and, and one from the 90s. Like, I, I kind of went through a trip through their discography, and I had a lot of fun with it. And to me, choosing this album for the, the podcast was a major success. <laughs> like, not only did I enjoy this album a lot, but I, I got to know Black Sabbath much more, and obviously, they're inf- an influential band. Uh, on a lot of artists that I like. Let me say this. I think the guitar on this album is just amazing. Like, I love Tony Iommi's style and sound. Uh, there's this story that I heard a few times uh, that, 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 that says that like, Tony Iommi lost the tip of his fingers in an accident or something, mm. uh, so he tunes down his guitar, which made the strings kind of loose, uh, and that is why Like they sound that way that w- that's what gave the 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 dark tone to the guitar. I haven't checked to see if that that's a myth or it's a true story yeah, that would be right i I didn't know he tuned it down, but that would make sense because it was quite painful to because back in the day you couldn't get um like a lower gauge um string I, I think it's lower is 
like a smaller, like a like a um, thinner string, yeah. essentially, like that. Like nowadays, a lot of people play with like super thin strings. Like I play with like I think probably quite quite light strings um, because it just makes it really easy to move and fiddle around. Um, but back in the day, like that that would make sense why he would he would want them to be a bit more um, pliable or movable. But I think that the hardest thing when he he had an accident, I think before the accident, he was right-handed guitar player, mm. but after oh. because of just where the injury was, he's left-handed now. So, um, like that's gotta be, that's gonna be very difficult. Yeah. And that was at 17. So it's not like this was 10 years old and he hadn't <laughs> already been, you know, playing for a long time. Like 17 is quite a late time if you're a, a big professional guitarist you know so yeah he used to work in a factory yeah. or something i don't remember remember the story but anyway i really really love how we can go from like the, the playing style in the beginning of iron man uh, the very dark very slow playing style to the brighter style of playing in like the, the sea parts of electric funeral or hand of doom where they're suddenly playing like very mm. very bright uh parts in the mm. guitar but i have to say though that as much as i love his playing I don't know what what I feel about his guitar solos. Like, I think they're pretty good, but they're not mind blowing. Uh, other than the one in Warpigs, which I really, yeah, really like. Yeah, that's what but I was gonna say. Do you guys have any opinion about that? Okay, I'm 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 mixed. I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I feel, and hopefully it makes sense. Yeah. Right? But sometimes with a guitar player, like all you want is them to have like an in- interesting riffs, and you want them to like their tone to sound good. And you want them to have a bit of feeling. And he has all of those things. Yeah. But then once you get all those things, if you're not still satisfied, then you realize there's actually something else. And what I think the something else is you almost want to not be able to understand it too easily. You know what I mean? Like with, with the greatest guitar players like Clapton or, or Page or Hendrix, you listen to it and it sounds beautiful. But then you listen to it again and you notice extra things and then you listen to it again and you notice more things and more things and you realize that you probably never really understand what they're doing. Like yeah. even if you learn the tab, you, well, when you do learn them, you firstly, you find out a lot more than when you're just listening to it. But even then you realize that, okay, he's doing extra stuff because it doesn't sound exactly like what yeah, he's something doing. Something else is going on here. And I feel like I don't 100% get that with... With this album, like I, I, I do find like, not that like I've worked him out or anything like that, but he does have like ingrained sort of habits, I guess you could say. And they're not habits, you know, like Jimmy Page habits of like, I don't know, like layering guitars or anything, something, something that's like what everyone does. It's more like you can kind of predict what's going to happen. Like with, with his chugs, you know, like he, he, he does this a lot. He goes like, do, 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 you know, like he does that in, in war pigs a lot, but he also does it in a lot of the other songs. Like he, he puts in the chugs and then, and then kind of does these highlights around them. Yeah. And you can, you, you feel almost like it's a little bit too close to like a template. You know what I mean? And, I feel a little bit weird about saying it because in in Tommy Iommi is one of my favorite guitarists. It's just like to get him into the top tier of Hendrix and stuff. It's um, I think that's what's missing, and I still think it's probably one of the big the best guitar al- albums of all time. It's it's like there's an amazing riff in basically every yeah. song. 
Yeah. 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 I love the guitar in this, but it, it sounds a bit primitive. Not in a bad way. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. Primitive, but like when you think about it, everything that came before him was primitive. Primitive. Yeah, so that's true. Um, you know what I mean? And, and this is the best, best like guitar like around really at the, at the time. Like, yeah. Well, I guess there was Hendrix and stuff before him, but like, I mean, what? three, four years before him. It's not like he, there was people doing this for decades and he came along and did what they were doing. Like he, he, he's right up there with like some of the most creative um, people as well. Cause you don't, you don't think about like war pigs, like the, just, just the way that he, he was synchronized with Aussie, you know, like the thing I'm thinking of is, um, wish I could had a guitar around cause, um, (laughs) a year back or something like that me and my um me and a work colleague like we we got together and we played war pigs but um like just the when aussie's going like oh lord yeah and they go you know yeah yeah the, those little fills those little licks yeah like the just the yeah. the string bends and all that stuff like it it just works really well in the in the um song fairies wear boots he does like a really good he kind of sets the um, drummer up by doing like this big riff and then having this this pause where he like mutes and then there's like a drum feel and he does that four times it's it's like it's just great so the album is really centered around Tommy Iommi and Ozzy's sort of doing like the like almost like a Robert Plant kind of role he's he's like another instrument almost you know what I yeah. mean like he's he's adding the feeling that you can't quite get with the um, with the instruments or the other instruments, you know, he's he's adding a bit of that emotion, a bit of that stress, um, a bit of that darkness. You know, yeah. it's, um, it works really well. And the and the drummer, the drummer, it almost is still in that kind of primitive bit as well. You know, like he's he's not doing anything too technical. Like it's all out in the open. It's all there for you to see. He's not he's not really doing too much in the background to obfuscate like the noise, but you know, it all sounds pretty good. So I don't know. I don't know if I exactly agree that this album is kind of surrounded around the guitar because like I said, I feel like everything is brought up to the front and center. You know, like mm. if you listen to it, you have usually two guitar parts playing at the same time, but like the bass is clearly uh, driving through that. And the drums are also, they, they mm. don't feel like a lot of times in the early metal albums that I know, like maybe in Judas Priest or motorhead the, the the drums are a bit to the back and they're fairly primitive and they're uh playing like very rudimentary stuff like one and two and three and four mm-hmm. and one they're just banging away in the background which kind of maybe evolved into a lot of very interesting stuff later in the 80s but in this one like everything feels like it's working together to build up something greater and the drumming it's it's amazing to me how dynamic it is for the time in relation to heavy metal and uh, when you compare it to other metal drummers of the time because you know in other other kind of genres of music that the drums were evolved and dynamic at the time but like something about the drumming in this album there's a bunch of like jazz influence to the the drumming like i can almost almost imagine bill ward the drummer holding the stick in his left hand like a jazz drummer you know like not holding it straight Mm. but on the side and I haven't watched any videos. I don't know how he really holds his drum, uh, his sticks, but there's something rock and rolly and jazzy, and it's not just 
regular drum fills. It's not just boring old banging the uh, the drums along the the, the bass and drum and, and guitars. There's something so dynamic, so creative about the way he drums. Mm. I, I just love it. And it, it really reminds me of John Bonham's drumming, which I think is a huge, huge compliment. Yeah. You know, especially, especially in Warpigs, throughout the whole song, throughout the, the seven minutes of playtime of that song, it, the drums are just unexpected. You know, he keeps doing something new all the time, except when he's doing like that uh, hi-hat bit in the beginning, where he's like, just like, you know, it's... yeah. Really interesting. I really, really love the drumming in this album. All the wall pigs have the power. <laughs> <laughs> they do work well together. I, I, I agree with that. All, all the members are really kind of, it, it, it's almost like they're not, re- uh, maybe they're not, but they're they're not recording in isolation there. You, you just imagine they're all in a circle, yeah. like dart, like eyes darting around, exactly. looking at what everyone else is doing, yeah. which is like, that. that's like the best thing in music for me. Like when, when you know people are reacting to what everyone else is doing and it becomes more like a conversation than yeah. just a performance, you know? Yeah. So I remember when I was younger, when I was like knee deep in modern, more modern metal, like 90s and, and 80s and early 2000s metal. Um, all kinds of subgenres of metal. And I first listened to like very early metal. I wanted to kind of go back and, and kind of listen to the roots of the genre that I liked. So I listened to like, you know, Black Sabbath and Judas Priest and stuff like that. And I used to think that their earlier albums weren't like heavy at all. I, I kept thinking like, what is this? Metal for babies? Stuff like that. And, you know, now that I'm much more experienced with all kinds of other genres of music and music from all sorts of time periods, I'll listen to this and it's easy to see that it's really, really heavy, you know? Like, when you come to, to back to this from, like, modern metal, it sounds really primitive and, and easy listening, kind of. But when you, mm. you, when you listen to Easily it... Easily listening metal. Yeah. <laughs> and when you listen to it with, like, the right context, it's, it's easy to see how heavy it is. It's not, like, about how loud the guitars or the drums are, which... They are kind of loud in this album, but, you know, it's about the, the feel of the music. And especially if you consider when this album came out, like, relative to that time period, I, maybe this is as heavy as it gets, you know? Like, Zeppelin and Deep Purple were considered heavy back then, but it's, they're not as heavy as this. I, like, I dare to say it's not close, even. Well, I've always wondered this, right? Well, actually, not really, but um, <laughs> I've wondered it for a while like now. five minutes ago. <laughs> it sounds like... You know, it sounds like a, the right thing to say, but um, I've wondered this for a while, is what makes a, a heavy song? Because um, if you let me ramble a little bit, but every time I started listening to classic rock and I thought heavy was pretty much just the setting of the guitar, like how how dirty does the guitar get? Then there was some, like, then, then as I sort of got into like the social media world, like looking at you know, oh, what's the heaviest song ever? And like, people would say like some things with like really deep lyrics that they they definitely had some heavy elements in the music, but it was like, people were saying almost like, no, this is the heaviest song. And it's like, not even that like heavy in terms of the guitar or anything like that. It's just more of like the the emotion, the context of it. Yeah. And then, and then there's all these stuff in between. Like some people will say, you know, like, I don't know how much, how much noise there is going on. Like, or even like, like Nirvana to me, isn't like a super heavy band, 
but some people say like something in the way is like one of the heaviest songs ever, you know, which yeah, is I like, I can see that. I, I, I'd agree with that. Actually. The BBC sessions of something in the way is everyone should listen to it. It's, it's just amazing how they got this guitar to like squeal a little bit. It's like this weird low pitch, like it's like the kettle boiling, but for in a, with a guitar, it's this weird thing. But when someone says that, like, I'm like, in some sense, I want to say like, how is that the heaviest song ever? Like, and, and then in another sense, I think, well, yeah, that's a bloody heavy song. So yeah. like, do you guys have any idea of like what makes a super heavy song or do you just, you know it when you see it? Cause that's, I'm in the second camp at the moment. Yeah. It takes, it takes some experience, you know, it takes listening to all kinds of music and comparing and everything. But I myself also kind of thought it's about how heavy the guitars are, how loud the mm. music is, but it's definitely not that like something in the way it's a fucking heavy song, you know. It's it's mm. it's impactful. It's deep. It it mm. it hits you. And you know, like when when you compare the song Iron Man from this one, it's definitely not the heaviest guitar. It's definitely not yeah. the heaviest song in terms of the sound. But listening to the first like thirty seconds, where the bass drum is just pounding every few seconds, and the guitar goes bow. <laughs> and then you disregard the bit where the, the the where Ozzy goes. I am Iron Man. <laughs> That's fucking heavy. <laughs> what what do you reckon the heaviest song is on the album? For me, I think it's got to be War Pigs. That is there something about like I guess I guess at the end it gets pretty sort of active. You know what I mean? Which you could say is more classic rock than and then like a heavy metal but to me like it the way it starts is so like i don't know just like the just the chugs as well the chugs yeah. make it very um very sort of you know hardcore i guess yeah i'd say after the solos of iron man where it goes back like after the song is built up and then they go back to like the intro playing with oh, a bunch of drum fills and it builds up towards uh, the outro of the song i think that's the heaviest part of the album mm. yeah but Ironically, even though the guitar settings are so similar, on the next song on Paranoid, it feels much lighter. You know what I mean? Very it's much just because of yeah. the riff. Like the you know, it's, it's, it's much more like a it's almost like a bit of a, like a disco edge to it, you know what I mean? Mm. And as soon as that feeling gets into it, then it's suddenly that that brings it out of the heavy range into sort of more of like a, just a classic rock. Yeah. Um, kind of thing. It, it's just, it's a weird phenomenon, like heavy songs. I'm not sure exactly how the term originated, but, um, yeah. and you know, th there is a, almost an obsession as well with some people just wanting to find the heaviest stuff. Like, I used to be like that. I, yeah. I, I think this is, this is like one of the heaviest albums I know. And cause I'm not really into the genre, but if I found an album which was just undeniably heavier than this, I haven't said heavy this much in the day, <laughs> but, um, but if I found one that was so much heavier than this, it would be interesting to listen to just for that, you know, like it, just because there's an art behind it that you can't just set out to make the heavier song. It's like, it's kind of like this, like this, it's like a force in itself, you know, like if you go out to make the heaviest song, it's guaranteed you'll make the lightest song. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, like the harder you try almost like the, the harder you fall, you know, like yeah. you, I know there's been so many songs where people have just tried to put on like 
deep voices and heavy guitar and it just sounds like a, a cover of something you know like it doesn't it doesn't feel genuine you know like you almost need to be a heavy person to make a heavy song you know like otherwise people don't believe it yeah you know like if if eric clapton did a heavy song yeah. <laughs> no one would like take it seriously it would just feel a bit odd so i want to go into uh favorite and least favorite songs but before that there's something i really really want to talk about did you guys Take the time to look at the album cover closely. I just did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I describe it uh, to the people who can't yeah. see it? Mm. It's, yep. it's kind of a dark scene. It seems like a forest at a very dark night or something. Kind of like, listen to the album. Like The, the, the album has this dark sound to it. And the, the, the album cover really depicts it. You know, it's, it's mostly black. And then in the middle, there's this scary looking dude. And he's wearing red pants with blue shorts over the pants. A yellow shirt with... What seems to be like a red sash, and he's wearing a white helmet. He holds a very cheap looking shield and a sword, and he's running towards the camera. <laughs> and above him, there's like the title of the album and the name of the band in what seems to be kind of a, a prototypical version of Comic Sans. Like a, a very inappropriate font. It, it looks like the font used on like a comedy movie poster from the 90s. It's, it's weird. I've been staring at this album cover. For days now. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, currently a GoFundMe to help him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at this guy. He's so 70s. It's, it's such a cheap costume. The font on the title is so weird. It's pink and purple. I love it. <laughs> it you know, like, I've seen the title. My dad has the CD. And, um, and you know what? I had never noticed until this topic like got introduced to the podcast that it was someone running with a sword. Like I always thought it was just some like <laughs> grapefruit looking thing smudged on it. Like I thought it was just an abstract art. <laughs> like I guess, I guess this is just me in general, but I just don't pay attention to the, those <laughs> details that much. I'm like, yeah, it's color, you know, like good job. <laughs> and like just put it in. Yeah. But now I'm looking yeah. at it. I don't like, always notice it. Yeah. Before, like when I didn't know what it was, if someone's like, what do you think of the paranoid album cover? I could bring it to mind because I know what it looks like. And I would just say, yeah, pretty sick. You know, like that's pretty cool. <laughs> and now I know it's this guy running through like a yellow and red Essendon jersey with like this, you know, pool noodle in his hand. <laughs> like it just feels like it just cheapens the album. It just, <laughs> right? sounds, it just looks so much worse. Is he, is he supposed to depict like the feeling of paranoia? Is he supposed to be dressed like a pig? Is this Iron Man? I don't know what oh, I'm looking at. Oh, no. <laughs> that could be Iron Man, I'm thinking now. Oh, a very cheap version. <laughs> okay. He is a paranoid Iron Man fairy who wears boots. <laughs> I'm trying to, to see if he, he's got a mustache. Uh, I'll mention though, I love the way the the sword glows. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, it has that that uh, when you're like taking a picture of something and like you know you kind of wave it around a little bit, but it gets a little bit like hotter in the image, like gets a bit brighter. That's kind of like what it looks like it's doing. Yeah, kind of long exposure kind of thing. I, I I wouldn't would never put out an album with this kind of cover. No. <laughs> but anyway, so what are your favorite and least favorite songs? <laughs> Let, let's like just bookmark. The two um, instrumentals, I guess they're both instrumentals. Planet Caravan, is that an instrumental? I wouldn't call it an instrumental. If you listen to it and you don't really pay too much attention to it, then yeah, it kind of sounds like instrumental, kind of sounds like a, 
a cooldown between the songs. It's track three. Yeah. It's not that long. It's kind of quiet. Well, that, that's actually quite an interesting song to me. I was listening to, like, on the first listen, War Picks came on. I thought, great, this is a great song. Paranoid, another great song. This one came on, I was like, okay, we just had two great songs. What do you do now if you're, like, setting out the album? Because I know Iron Man's coming up next. And it was... Yeah, they had like, to take a left turn. They had to take a left turn, and it's such a weird song. Like it's, it's actually got a lot of char- like charisma or character behind it. Like it, I don't know. Like I'm you, guessing you didn't read the lyrics. With, no, I didn't. Let me tell you what it's what's it about. Uh, then tell me what you think about it. Mm, yeah. I think it's kind of a a planet caravan. You know, it's kind of a bunch of, I think aliens in their spaceship, and they're like. Uh, riding through the night and they're like looking out the windows at planets they're uh, passing by and that's basically mm. it you know they're talking about like looking at, at planets from above and just driving along oh, similar to what I thought about it but it makes sense like it, to me it was felt like I, I was listening to it I thought okay come on Let's make it four from four, make a good song, because I knew the next song was going to be great. Oof. And it was just so underwhelming on the first listen. Like, I was just like, what is this shit? Like, yeah. you know, like, there's just nothing to it. But every time I listened to it, like, I would listen, like, listen through, the, through the album, I'd, I'd go through the first two songs, great songs, and this one, like, you know when you, you say you don't like something, but all your body language says the opposite you yeah, know like you, you can't stop listening to it yeah like like every time it came on i was like oh not this not this one again it's like you're dreading it but you're intrigued by it yeah and i like if i don't like a song enough i will i'll get this urge even if i don't do it to skip it i never got the urge to skip it like it just even sometimes i wanted to play it again like because i i don't know why it's so weird so I can't really knock the song. Like it, objectively bad and subjectively good. Like it yeah. just it doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. So <laughs> the other one didn't have the same effect. The um, Rat Salad, the the winner of the worst song name of the album, Rat Salad. Blech. <laughs> um, yeah, that Blech. that one didn't have the same effect on me. That one was. Um, it's kind of a guitar that, solo that, and a drum solo, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah. It, Look, it's not a bad song or anything no. like that. It just didn't um, it didn't have a lot going for me. So if, um, that one is what I'll put as my my least favorite song. Um, and my most favorite, I really wanted to try to find something else, but I, I'm still going to go for War Pigs. It, it, it's a true classic, and it's it's in my top, like, 20 songs of all time. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, um, honorable mention to Fairies Wear Boots, Never heard it before, and that's got, like, a really great series of riffs. Like, it's got, like, a riff, and then it changes, and it changes again, and it goes back to start. It's awesome. And obviously, like, the electric funeral is um, something I've been humming all day. So Yeah. Um, yeah, those two, th- those two surprised me a lot. I actually, my favorite was the last one. Like, I wanted to ask you about, like, I understand uh, Warpigs is, is, is kind of like a, a personal classic. I don't know. I when I heard uh, War Pigs, it, I felt like it, it's a good song, but I I felt that I already got exhausted by it. I don't know. I I felt like I heard it a lot in recent years. Yeah, I can I can I can understand that. But the last one I found Fairies refreshing and well, to me, it's, there's Jack the Stripper. Yeah, yeah, that's the same one. It has a few titles on a few different uh, versions of the album, but that's it. Yeah, yeah. 
I think uh, Warpix is also known as Looks, looks well, well or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's also the... Um, I remember when I was learning the song on the guitar, that's like the end riff, like Loot's Wall, they call it. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Jack the Stripper, or Ferris War Boots, I don't know, I, fi- I found myself bouncing <laughs> when I listened to it. Yeah. That uh, had a good mood. Mm. I'll say I'll say one thing about it. Like there was a great riff where the drum and the ba- and the um, guitar were working so well together. It feels like it's bounding forward, you know. Like it's just enough space for the for the drum to get in there and the and the guitar to kind of work in tandem. It's got a yeah, it's got a real good vibe. I'll just mention that it has the worst lyrics on the album. I think it's an amazing song. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it has. The worst lyrics I've ever read. Maybe, maybe literally ever. <laughs> <laughs> I love the singing on it, though. I do like the singing. Amazing. Um, really good song. Yeah. So this is a bit I like. Yeah. They, they're working really well together here. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> <laughs> It's literally a song about someone who looks into a window in the middle of the night and sees fairies with boots dancing with dwarves. That's it. <laughs> Amazing. And he goes to the doctor and the doctor tells him, you have to stop drinking and smoking. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's the song. <laughs> Barry, do you have a least favorite? I mean, you said Warpigs. You've kind of exhausted it. Yeah, but... but- I'm I'm guessing it's not the least favorite song. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have a warm spot uh, for it, so... I think uh, maybe Planet Caravan. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. Like I, I understand. I understand how you fell in love with it, but maybe, maybe I haven't uh, listened to it. <laughs> not quite love. We're not there yeah. yet. <laughs> I'll give it some more, some more time. Yeah, I like Planet Caravan, but it definitely stands out. I can totally see how it's your kind of least favorite song. But for me, I have a clear, clear favorite, which is War Pigs. <laughs> like. I think it's yeah. it's it's a perfect song. I think just like you said, Peter, it's a clear classic. I literally love everything about this song. It has this quality to it. It feels like a classic song. It feels immortal. Like it'll never be forgotten. You know, it's on its own level. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, larger But I have to say, like, all of the songs Other than Planet Caravan and uh, A Rat, Rat Salad Deserve an honorable mention Like, literally, each and every song on this album it's amazing. It's 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 way above average. It's it's each one has its own personality and its own drive, and, it, and they're amazing, amazing songs. You know, if I had to choose a least favorite song, I'd also go with Red Salad. I like Planet Caravan. It stands out, like we've said. I still think it's good, especially if you're like sitting with the lyrics. It's it's an interesting one. It has actually most of the songs, other than. What's it called? Uh, fairies wear boots. Have like very descriptive, very picturesque lyrics, and I like Planet Caravan because of that. But Rat Salad, mm. Rat Salad, I- I'm enjoying it. It's a good drum solo. It's a good track. It's the closest thing on this album to filler. Yeah, yeah. Another song I really like. I have to mention was Hand of Doom. I really, 
really connected mm. with it. And I had kind of a funny moment with it. Maybe you had to be there to enjoy it. But like I took my car to the garage a few days ago. My air conditioner wasn't working. So I was driving down this kind of fairly busy street. And I was driving at about walking speed. And I had my windows down because I, my AC was out. And I was playing Hand of Doom. I was playing this song at top volume. And you know how it goes. There's a cool bass line. And this elegant drum bit. And I had the volume way up high, and, and the song started to play, and I locked eyes with this girl who was walking alongside my car. And we were looking at each other for like four or five seconds. And for a moment there, I felt like the coolest person ever. <laughs> and then Ozzy's voice came in. What you gonna do? Time's caught up with you. I was drumming on like the door of my car with my hand outside the window. And suddenly, when Ozzy's voice came in, as much as I like this song, for someone who doesn't know what to expect, like this song could turn to any kind of genre. It's a bit funky, it's a bit cool. <laughs> at that moment, you know, I could see that the, the, the girl I was looking at, she was really surprised by it. And she kind of frantically looked for a way out and she walked into an alley between a couple of stores. I, I, I literally scared her away. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing for a minute. scared her away. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a kind of a weird moment but the the song man it's heavy man it's cool you push the needle yeah this is like one of the war songs similar to war Peaks, i guess yeah yeah, this song, th- this album is a bit political at times. Yeah, it is at times, yeah. I, I just love this album. Like, I, I was really happy to go back and listen to something that influenced a bunch of my favorite artists. And I love this genre. I find it hard to, like, nowadays, I find it hard to listen to something that I don't know in this genre. Uh, because it's hard for me to find something that is fresh and surprising. You know, I've listened to this kind of music for so long. It's hard for me to not be reminded of other albums that I already know and love and not just switch over to listen to those. Like, sometimes when I listen to a new band in this kind of genre, I, it just reminds me of Iron Maiden or Judas Priest or a bunch of other bands, and I just stop and play the albums that I already know and love. So I had a lot of fun with this one, and like I said, this was a totally selfish choice for something to do on the podcast. I literally chose something I knew I would enjoy. And I thought, <laughs> I, I kind of thought you would as well, but I honestly was just thinking of myself. Uh, I, can, I, I love doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep, keep doing that. We, we had fun. <laughs> I think it was a good pick in terms of, it is a bit of a genre-defining album. And what I kind of look at what we're doing on the podcast is, some people have like a big map like of the world and then they put a pin of everywhere they go. And like, you know, it's, it's weird when you're looking at it like that because you could have like a hundred pins in Japan and that mm. would be, a, you would have lived a full life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. so much to do there. But there's some weird obsession with wanting to have pins everywhere, you know what I mean? Yeah. In lots of different spots, you know? And I think this is like, a good situation of where we're putting a pin somewhere a little bit different or, or a little bit of a new place, even though we're familiar with it, it's it still needed to have the pin there. You know what I mean? Like just to fill up a bit of space. Like if we don't cover off like a classic seventies, like rock album like this, 
you know, like it, it's always going to be missing and it, and the listeners ne- don't necessarily know this stuff. So it, it's, it's, we want to hit everything essentially. Yeah. And especially when I'm looking to do stuff, like I'm just like, mate, is Antarctica free? Like where, where can we go next? Do you know what I mean? So this was literally the opposite choice from the YouTube one that I made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No self-challenging, no self-discovery. <laughs> I know I would love, love this. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you need that as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm on the same side as you, Inan. Like, I definitely am familiar with it. But, like, um, I never really looked at the songs on this album as, as like, album tracks. You know what I mean? Yeah. I always just, like, I always just listen to one song off them at a time, like Paranoid or... Iron Man or War Pigs. And honestly, like that, I, I don't think I would ever get into another Black Sabbath album if I didn't go through this one first. Because why would you start on something else without actually getting to know like some of these songs? You know what I mean? Yeah. And knowing they had a lot of like creativity behind them, like it just gets me pumped up just to see there's more out there. You know what I mean? So I think it's, I think it's great. I'll mention that the, I listened to a bunch of other of their, of their albums and uh, there are there's a bunch of great stuff out there. Like I'm I'm not even sure that this is their best album. Maybe it's a good entry point, but maybe not their best one. Hmm. And I'll just quickly mention I, I just looked it up. It's number 139 in the Rolling Stones top 500 list. Hmm. <laughs> so, as we do at the end of each step of our quest, we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not Black Sabbath's Paranoid has a place in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide, aka the Quag. We will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay. And the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. So, I think I'll vote first. I honestly think that this album has a certain quality that anyone with an open mind can sense and connect with. I think this album is truly for everyone, especially if you're looking for something that's a bit different, a bit darker, and a bit gloomier. It's totally obvious what I'm going to vote, because like I said... I love this genre. I love this album. It's it's just amazing to me. I think it's like one of the best albums I've listened to in years. It's a classic in my books. So it's a massive tip of the hat from me. Yeah, I, I didn't realize how complete an album this was. You know, I thought it was just a few good tracks with a lot of deep cuts. And it's probably true. It's just the deep cuts are actually quite good. <laughs> and it also helps that this is like 1970. Like it's it's on the cusp of what's was going to become or what did become a pretty successful genre in Mm. terms of um, heavy metal and classic rock. But um, yeah, so I'm going to tip my hat as well. Nice. Oh my goodness. All the pressure is on me. (laughs) Well, it's a toughie. It's a toughie. It's a toughie. Yeah. Because do you think that if, if it was released today, was it successful? I think it, I think it would be. Yeah. You think, I think this album has the it factor. I think it has this quality. I think, I, I think I've said no to a lot of things before. Like <laughs> like this, I think we might've said this for like, I don't know what we said it for, but maybe Joni Mitchell or something like that. But I think this is a yes, actually, because I think this is what people want nowadays. People want hard hitting, like the, the vocals to be like very expressive. People want like the anti, well, I guess not the anti-war, but I guess like people want to have, people don't want their artists to be like, there's a great word if I knew it. Um, (laughs) People want their artists to stand for things. They don't want them to be sort of like their music and then their beliefs, you know, they want them to be like hand in hand. And I think 
honestly, I think this would go down well. I think, yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe maybe I'm not in touch with the youth. I feel like if this was, like, in a... <laughs> so old. As long know. as it got a little <laughs> bit of a boost from, like, you know, Apple Music or something, like, wants to promote this new band, Black Sabbath or something like that. I think if people listen to, like, if they promoted it well, like, they promote Paranoid or something like that, yeah, I think it could go down well. I think I think they're catchy enough because I think a lot of metal isn't catchy enough, you know, to really get the public perception right. But I think these guys have a good mix of like really heavy heavy stuff, but also stuff that you can hum. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you with it being catchy and probably also in the same time for it not being rich enough as maybe some of today's music is. That's fair enough. It's a black album, you know. It's it's. Not a colorful album. I think yeah. they have a lot of like dark tones, and every once in a while there are like bright tones. So it's not boring in terms of sound. It's not. It's not one colored, but it's not colorful. Yeah, it works for me. But uh, a little bit like the um, album cover. Yeah, <laughs> if they released it with this album cover, it's it's just not going to sell. <laughs> they would need to change that. Yeah, they, they would need to change that. I, I think it does has has its charm. I'm trying to think what, like, again, imagine someone's going into the Quag and, you know, we don't have a lot of music albums there. Is this something that we're kind of like fully on board with saying this is something that, this is a piece of culture that that you will benefit from? I, I don't know. I get this feeling from this album that anyone with a bit of an open mind can find something it it feels so special to me this album, uh, but but again maybe it's me maybe it's the fact that I know this genre and I grew up listening to it. <laughs> no, definitely I think I think it's it's part of it and I think uh, the nostalgic part also plays on Peter. But uh, I will tip my heart my my heart hey, non- nonetheless. Tip your heart to this. Yeah, because <laughs> while while I, I think I, I'm not as excited about this album as you guys are. I think it was very influential. Like if you if you look at uh, different types of music and and you know listening to it might uh, expand your horizons or maybe you'll, you'll say, oh, wait, I, I heard War Pigs in, in that movie or in that bar because it is something that plays a lot. And so you can expect Barrio to join us for episode Whew, 54. That was a close call. Uh. <laughs> and again, we discovered that Barrio doesn't have a spine. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's a right call, Barrio. Let, let me ask you something that I just thought about. Would you say that Ozzy Osbourne is the most famous uh, metal personality. Like, I grew up knowing about Ozzy Osbourne, and he was kind of a celebrity. But I only when I was, like, 15, I realized, oh, man, he's famous for being a Black Sabbath singer. He's famous for doing metal. Who, mm. who else is famous for that? I think so. I don't know. I, I, I grew up knowing his name, and I never knew he was a metal singer until I was fairly deep into the genre. So, uh, I'm amazing. I'm really, really happy that this is in. Two in a row, guys. Two in a row. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've just sent you guys um, a couple of screenshots of the Rolling Stones uh, website for their... uh, I've done this before, actually, for the top 100 albums in the 2000s. So, um, early on in the 2000s, um, Kid A was released by Radiohead and... We did that for pretty much our first 2000s album in, on the yeah. podcast. So I thought I'll just do that again for another decade that we don't really cover too much. So I think when I did this, like I thought, oh, 80s might be the only one. But I guess we actually have done a lot from the 70s and not a lot from 80s, 90s, or even like 2010s. So yeah, so 
Um, there were actually a few, but I know we all do like 90s. 90s to me is, is pretty well known as a great decade for music. I think we will find some stuff in the last 10 years to go for, through for 2010s, but 80s seem like a bit of an oddball. Like it's 60s and 70s knew what they wanted to be, or at least people were so creative that it just felt like they couldn't do anything wrong. And then 80s is bands were changing and it was like a changing of the guard almost. Um, I think that song by Bob Dylan came out in the 80s, actually, Changing of the Guards. Um, <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I just wanted to find what is agreed upon as just great albums in the 80s, not yeah. stuff that some people like, some people hate, but just something that people really do like. And so I went to the Rolling Stones album, our top 100 for the um, 80s, and there was a lot of prints. But I wanted to do something I, I was even less familiar with. So I've, I've screenshotted two for you guys. And the first one is The Talking Heads, the album called Remain in Light. So I don't honestly know a lot about it, except the album cover is very weird. They've sort of got like, not red paint, but almost like a red sort of like Photoshop thing over them that makes it look like they have like full face masks. And then the other one is Paul Simon's Graceland. So... Um, the only thing I know about that is it was, um, it didn't really take off at the time when it was released in 1986, but it's been received well in later years. So, yeah. um, and I really don't know anything about Paul Simon or Talking Heads. So I think we mentioned both of these albums when we went over the list for episode 50. I don't even remember that. Wow. <laughs> I remember episode 50, but I not. just edited that episode. So I listened to it quite a few times recently. Ah, okay. <laughs> I would have said something like Talking Heads. Hmm. Interesting. All right. <laughs> Next album. Yeah. Basically what I said was that I listened to the Paul Simon uh, album when I was like six and I was bored by it, but I was six. six. And Talking Heads, I was surprised that I didn't even heard of this name because I think they were ranked at like 30-something. It's a rock album, and I never even heard of this name. So mm. I, I'm intrigued by both of these. Barry, do you have like a direction you want to go with? No idea. No. Barry, do you want to flip a coin? Let's maybe go with something that's a bit more familiar to us. Let's go with the... The Paul Simon one? Yeah. I think that'll be good. It's a bit different to like the Black Sabbath we just listened Ooh, to. It should be yeah. a bit of a contrast, <laughs> so that should be good. Also, I, I said that it, um, that it wasn't warmly received when it first came out, but I think that is actually the Talking Heads one. The Graceland one is kind of in the opposite boat. It says, um, few albums have had... Humbler beginnings, been as musically adventurous, generated as much political controversy, or have been um, as warmly received by the public hmm. as um, as Graceland. So I'll be surprised if I hadn't heard at least a song. Yeah, I'm sure there's at least a song. I just Googled Paul Simon Graceland, and one of the first things that came up is a question, what was so controversial about Paul Simon's Graceland album? There there's, might also be a story about this. I thought it was going to be like something like, where were you when Graceland was released <laughs> or something? <laughs> also, isn't Graceland the name of like Michael Jackson's mansion? That's Elvis. Or something? No, no, no. That's um, Neverland. I don't think there was much grace with Neverland. It was, <laughs> it was a, you know, it was a little bit like Not a, a lot. weird, <laughs> weird kind of big villa of yeah. crazy stuff. <laughs> So, Paul Simon's Graceland is what we're going to do next. Thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye! Bye-bye! See ya! Bye-bye.
The Culture Quest Podcast is part of All the People Network. Visit our website at culturequestpodcast.com to contact us or see a list of our upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at CQ underline podcast and tell your friends about us. Find out more information about All the People Network and the other podcasts it includes at allthepeoplenetwork.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention all those people that are currently stuck without their phone and are forced to continue listening to this unless they pause it and then have to contemplate, you know, the state of their life and other things. So, you'll probably just continue listening. I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to a, um, a website, actually. It's called givewell.org. So, that's give, G-I-V-E, well, W-E, double L dot org. So it's, it's a dot org. So it's, it's legit. And, um, basically they're the authority on who is worth giving money to in terms of charity. So obviously we'll give money to friends and family if they fall on hard times. But if you are thinking about giving large sums of money to, um, charities, it's definitely best to do your research because, a lot of people just give away money and want to feel good, but it's also good to think of it as an investment and how you can do the most good. So, it's not asking you to give away more money, but it's asking you to give the money away in a responsible way. And um, basically, they've just authorized eight charities. So, out of all the, I want to say hundreds of thousands of charities, might be a bit lower, but they've authorized only eight. And I think it's really good to just scan through the list and um, see if you can consider donating to these charities. So, um, I think that would be good if we can all sort of band together during these tough times. At the moment, it's COVID, but, you know, that will change and we're all going to need to support everyone. So, this is probably one of the best evidence-based ways to do that. So, yeah, so definitely hop on to givewell.org if you're considering and hopefully those charities are like tax deductible or something in your country, which would be in your best interest. So, anyway, this is not formal advice, but it's just a good place to go. Thank you.